0: This is an irreducible fundamental. You know, if there's smoke coming out of your car, there's certain irreducible fundamentals that can make your car go around the block. Having oil inside the engine is one of them. You just can't treat that like it's optional. It's like, you know, I got gas in it, you know, the wiper things are full, I got fresh blades on. I'm good, I'm I'm good. Got any oil? Uh, No, but, you know, I'm busy, there's a lot going on. You know, but it's gonna smoke and then throw a rod. I give you about four blocks. I mean, that's just the facts of life. And some of us as Christians, we're smoking and throwing rods, man. That's that's what our Christian life looks like. You gotta pray. It's an irreducible fundamental of the Christian life. You have to have fellowship. Christians who don't fellowship. Weird is the first word that comes to mind. Weird in practice, but you're weird. I'm sorry. If you have, if you're visiting today, you normally aren't part of a church. You normally don't fellowship. I guarantee you, you're weird. I don't. I mean, there's a realm in which God intended for fellowship to do something to us, and if you put that at arm's distance and you don't let that happen, you're going to get weird. You got weird convictions. I guarantee you. And you get those kind of goofy convictions like, you know, I don't read that Bible. The page numbers are in the wrong place. I don't, I don't do it, brother. Don't, I don't read that. Hallelujah. You needed to get around somebody to help you. I don't know who you're living with, but, man, you're probably driving them nuts. It's <laughs> an irreducible fundamental of the faith. The dynamic we see in scripture of teaching and learning, irreducible fundamental. You and I were meant to be taught and we were meant to learn. If that's not happening, then your Christian life is not working. It just cannot work. The last one I want to get to today is the issue of mission. Christian life is a life lived on a mission. You and I live our lives on a mission. It's an irreducible fundamental. If somehow you have misplaced the mission of God that is to operate in your life, then your life, I guarantee you, is off track right now. I promise you it is. I don't even have to know you to know that your life will be off track if you've misplaced the mission of God. What's this word mission mean? It means an assigned task, a special task given to a person or group to carry out. It's a calling, an objective or task that somebody believes it is his or her duty to carry out, or to which he or she attaches special importance and devotes special care. that's That's what it means to have a mission in life. You have a mission in life. Now, mission's not foreign. Some of us just don't assign that word to our lives. But, you know, today, right now, there's a variety of people who are on a mission today. There's some people instead of coming to a church building like here today, they went to the mall this morning. They parked in the mall. They are on a mission, right? They didn't accidentally park there. They parked there on purpose. They're going inside the building. They're after certain stuff. Now, a little different than in here, uh, their, theirs is going to be amongst people. People will be in the mall with them, but it will be a very individualized mission that they're on, right? Right? So you might bump into them. They might be sorting through coats on the same rack with you. They're on a similar mission. But they're not with you on the mission, right? You understand? You're going to get your coat. You're going to go on. Your coat fits you. And it's about you. It's your personal mission. Uh, In just a few moments, there will be a bunch of folks who will be on their way to the Saints game. They're going to fill the stands. They're going to be on a mission. And there's a little bit more togetherness here, isn't there? some commonality here. We're going to win some friends. It's amazing. Poor people are going to sit next to rich people, and all, everybody's going to be on an equal playing field in that moment. Right? Black people are going to sit with white people and high-five each other. It's amazing how we're going to all get along inside the Superdome in just moments. We're going to be happy about the same things, and we're going to be angry about the same things. You haven't cursed In years, but that call right there makes you join right in with that guy right there. And you just grab, there's nobody in church here around you in that moment, right? Because you are together with this guy here who's about, which literally happened to me, to pour his beer down somebody's back because he's really hacked off, right? I mean, one of the years ago, I'm sitting at a game. It's the New York Giants and the Saints, I believe. Something happened bad. This guy decided to use my head as like a table. He wanted to pound the table because of something that happened. He literally stood up and went, Man! I was like, What just happened here? Now, immediately, immediately, I was in touch with passion, right? Right, I mean, it was a, it was a sobering moment because I'm watching passion take place in the, in the Superdome here. But what's amazing is, is how much togetherness is gonna right? there's going to be. Do you understand? There's some churches who don't pull off unity that well. Right? This is where I say, have we misplaced our mission together? We're on a mission together. Now, there's going to be some guys in the Superdome watching the game. There's going to be a bunch of guys down on the field who are on a mission as well. Now, how many of you know those guys have prepared themselves a little differently for today? All right, they're on a mission, and they've been dedicating themselves, probably most of them have been dedicating themselves to this game in some form or another since they were in like junior high. Their life has been oriented to being able to play that position as well as they do. Studying, working out, being disciplined. Giving up some things in order to have this, and they're playing at a level that few will ever play at. You understand? All those folks are on a mission. Whether you're in the mall in the stands or on the field, you're in a mission. Now, my question for us as believers is: What does our mission look like? Right? When it looks goes into your life, you look like you're going to the mall as a Christian. You going to the game, right? Here you are. You're at the game. You're spectating, right? We're in the stands today. Are you a player? See, in Christianity, you're on the field. You're not in the stands. And you're not involved in some individual activity that sort of just suits you so that you go to the mall and you shop and you get what you want and you go on. You're on the field. Now, if you're sucking air and you're out of shape and you don't know what play is being called, you're still on the field. You're living your life on a mission. right Now... A mission mindset, it dominates the Bible, right? Everywhere we go in the Bible, we find a mission mindset. Something's going on on every page of the Bible. There's a mission going on, right? Listen to this thought from Henry Blackaby and Avery Willis. They say, God is on mission. Each time we see God in the Bible, he is acting in accordance with his purpose. Listen, this, this is God's purpose. To reveal himself in order that his name would be glorified, that his kingdom would be established, And that some from every people would be reconciled to himself. All Right? If at any moment of your life, you can keep this personal, but it's going to need to be informed. At any moment of your life, you're asking, man, what's going on? What's going on in my life? God, what are you doing, God, right now? I can guarantee and promise you this. He's doing those three things right now in your life. I guarantee you that's what he's doing. He's seeking for his name to be glorified in your life. He's bringing his kingdom to come through your life, and he's extending it into the lives of others, through your life. That's what's going on in your world. Now, if you misplace this mission of God, you start reading the Bible in kind of a weird way, right? Everybody's got stuff going on in their lives. Right now you've got stuff you're after. You're living for some things. You get up in the morning. You've gone to school. You're trying hard. You're relating to people. You've got a schedule. You want stuff. Right? Here's some helpful verses for you. Philippians chapter 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a great verse, isn't it? How about this one? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All right, not question, is that a verse for mall people? I'm going to the mall. I'm on a mission. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look out, Macy's. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am anointed. Some of y'all feel like you're anointed to shop, don't you? Uh, and my God will supply all of my needs, hallelujah, according to his riches and glory. Give me two of those. (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to get one, but man, I'm reading Philippians. I was meditating on Philippians on the way in. You kids want some too? Y'all go pick out whatever, right? Just, is that how this verse was meant? Right now, we hear that verse, and it just kind of gets grabbed out of nowhere. You know, that verse was spoken into a mission. And it sits right in the life of the Apostle Paul, who is living his life on a mission. And he's just got finished explaining that sometimes my life is being lived at this level and sometimes it's being lived at this level. Sometimes my life is overflowing with these great, good, wonderful things and sometimes it feels like i got nothing. Sometimes I'm out doing amazing things and then sometimes I've been sitting in jail. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. you understand that's what he's talking about? He's a man on a mission and he can do all things. And then he turns around to the Philippian church. This Philippian church, they didn't have a lot of money, but they partnered with Paul. That's what he called them. He says, you are my partners in the gospel. You, you are my partners. And you have given partnership to me financially to support what I've been about as an apostle. You have joined me in the mission, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Now, that sings a little different, doesn't it? it? That that verse doesn't play the same way for somebody who's not in touch with a God who's on a mission, but they're on a mission. I'm on a mission, and I like those verses because it helps me go on my mission. No. Christian life is a life lived on a mission. Right? Jesus was on a mission When you meet him, this is the way he sounds. The son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. My father's at work and I am at work. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the others, other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. When you met Christ, you met a man on a mission. Let me tell you what you didn't mean. And I have to say this. I need to say it more because I just, in our pluralized religious community that we live in, where re- religion and, and pluralistic thinking is trying to keep Jesus in a viable category. So how do we welcome Jesus into the scene of religious tolerance? Well, we make him a promoter of good ideas. We make Jesus to be a guy who came along and he's trying to teach humanity how to be better at what it's doing. How to relate to one another. How to have certain principles of how to get along and just how to have more peace in the world. Jesus, you know, the the master of peace. He's, He's just come to the earth to bring peace. Didn't he say that? He came to bring peace. And so he's going to teach us, no matter who we are in our relationships, he's going to teach us how to have peace. Those, those are misplaced words. Those are words read in a book that's not on a mission. The book, of the Bible, it's on a mission. It's trying to go somewhere. It's seeking to accomplish something. You hear that in Jesus' life. He wasn't some positive speaker, circuit rider guy, going from place to place, just trying to teach everybody how to be more positive, how to get along. He said, I've come to give my life as a ransom. I've come to pay a price for you. And if I don't pay that price, you will never be restored to God. Not a one of you ever, ever will ever be at peace. But I heard you came to bring peace. I did. I came to bring peace between you and God. And then that peace should spill out into peace with one another as well. But I'm on a mission. See, Jesus was on a mission. When he encountered people, he didn't just say, hey, here's some positive ideas. You go live positively now. He invited them into the mission, right? Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, right? Remember that invitation? Now, you realize that when Jesus does this, he's playing with these guys' heads, right? What, would, what kind of a job did these guys have? They were fishermen. And so Jesus messing with their mission, isn't he? Because at some point in their life, they became convinced. They got good at something. They had some talent. They had a business. They had success. They owned some stuff. They were fishermen. Jesus comes along and says, hey, I'm, I'm here on a mission, and, it, and I want you to come be a part of that mission, and it's going to wreck your world. You've always thought of yourself as a fisherman, you come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'm about to refocus your whole life. When Jesus invites you to follow him, he's not just saying, hey, you like my ideas? You want to quote me a few times here and there? Try and live a better life, get along with each other? No, he he calls you to follow him in this mission. Blackaby and Willis say, since all true mission is really God on his mission... There is not a different mission for you, for me, for the people who lived a 1,000 years ago or for believers on the other side of the world. God's mission is to glorify his name, to establish his kingdom and to reconcile the world to himself. That is God's mission. And if you're going to be a fisher of men, that's your mission now. Your life is now on a mission. And then Jesus turned around and he commissioned. When he left, he commissioned those who would follow him to continue the mission, right? Go, therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Then he tells them, wait in Jerusalem because you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. See, Jesus was about a mission and all who would follow him were about a mission and were commissioned into that mission. So you and I today, as followers of Christ, an irreducible fundamental of our lives is that we're people on a mission. Together, unified, on the field, playing, practicing, learning, going after God, being together in this context of the mission. Let me, let me explore just for a moment what I'm going to call a missions uh, mindset. How do, you, how do you become mission-minded? You know what a, a great, and I go back into my early years of being a Christian great scripture passage that in any moment this verse just seemed to help me. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Right? That verse played for me in so many settings. Right, You're living your life, some things are going this way, some things are, are not going well. You're you're excited about something, you're depressed about something, you don't know what to do. There's a decision to be made. You've got to respond to this. How do I respond? What do I do? I mean, a lot of our life is, is that question. What do I do? That's a guiding principle, isn't it? In any moment of your life, what do you do? What do you do right now? Do right? you got trouble today? You going to go home to trouble today? You going to go to work tomorrow and there's trouble waiting for you? Do you, do you keep your job? Do you change jobs? you sell the house? I mean, you've you got trouble going on right now, and you got to make some decisions. This is a great principle. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will take care of all those things. It's a great principle. Doesn't it just simplify life that in any moment I need to figure out? Am I jealously protecting my mission and then shanghaiing a few Bible verses to come alongside my mission? Or am I committed to God's mission, and I'm going to seek that first, and, and if it costs me something, it costs me something. I want to be where God's mission is coming to pass. That's the priority for my life. Right? Now, what does that look like? Let's suppose you and I were going to go visit a church. We were going to go hang around a new church and tell some of the guys hello. And So, you know, you're coming with me, and I take you to the to first church. Right? There's always a first church, right? First Baptist, first Pres, first whatever. Well, when I say first church, I mean the first church. I mean re- literally the first church in the New Testament. And that would be the church in Jerusalem. All right, so I take you around and I want to introduce you to some of the guys there. So, you know, first thing we do is we walk up and I say, hey, hey, I want you to come meet Pete and, and Jimmy and Johnny. Here, come, come, come see real quick. Hey, okay, guys, come here. Pete, Jimmy, come over here. I want, I want you to meet Johnny, I want you to meet Jeff. He's, he's a recent grandparent. Did you know that? And so I call him over, and uh, they're shocked. He's like, really? He's kind of young to be a grandparent, isn't he? They're shocked. They're shocked. Uh, but Pete and Jimmy and Johnny come over. Now, you would know Pete and Jimmy and Johnny as Peter and James and John. But when they came over, they, you, would, you wouldn't know. You know, there wasn't a halo on them despite the, the pictures that you've seen of them. There was no halo about them. As a matter of fact, when you met them, you would not have thought they were who you came to discover them to be in church history, right? Uh, They would have come over. They would have been dressed. uh, How do I say this? They would have been dressed like they're from Shalmet. Now, don't get offended. (laughs) Don't get offended when I say that. (laughs) They would have come walking over with white boots on, man. I'm telling you. They were fishermen. They were from Chalmette, all right? You know, this is the great thing about living in New Orleans. Let me tell you something, you didn't know this biblically. We, we have such an advantage over everybody else in America who tries to understand what the Bible's saying. We do. We do. Because, you know, when people find out that there's these Galileans, these Galileans. From Galilee? You're from Galilee, really. Uh, and, and you have no idea, if you're from the rest of the country, you have no idea what that means. But if I say, you're from Chalmette, immediately you understand what a Galilean is. You immediately can go there. Okay, these guys would have walked up. They would have been dressed in their white boots. They would have sounded a little different, their dialect. You know, it would have been different. You would not have thought a Harvard grad, right? I mean, you wouldn't have gone there with these guys. You'd, you'd have gone... Where are you from? You know, when they started to talk to you, you'd have shook hands with them, but their hands would have been rough. Their style, their demeanor would have, would have probably been casual. They were blue collar guys, they were, they were comfortable street level people. But you're, you're in Jerusalem, right? You're in, you're in the Washington, D.C. of Israel. You are in the epicenter of religious etiquette. And these guys are the pillars of the church? you got to be kidding me. You meet these guys, your question to them, walking on the streets of Jerusalem would have been this. What are you doing here? That would have been your question for them. What What are you guys doing here? Help me out. Well, you're, you're meeting disciples who are on a mission. The things that were most familiar, the things that most characterize their lives are things over there. But right now, they're on a mission. And they're in a very foreign place. They're in an unusual place. Right? Look at Matthew chapter 19 real quick. Interesting little side comment that gets made in this chapter. Matthew 19, verse 16. This is a lesson, if you will, in contrasting discipleship. Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Shall, you shall love your neighbors yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? I right know it wasn't really true that he had kept these. Jesus said to him, if you'll be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Come on my mission. Right now, what, what's he doing here? He's basically saying, you know what, you know, you're a wealthy person, you're a decent person in the community, you've made a name for yourself, you've been faithful to all the traditions that you've known and how you were raised. He's meeting a man on a mission. This this man is on a mission in life, and he encounters Christ, and Jesus comes along and says, Hey, how about this? You want to really see if your heart is completely for God? Why don't you give up your mission and come on my mission? And what does this man do? The Bible says he walked away grieved. Listen, a lot of us don't walk away from our exchange with God grieved because we've not accurately heard him say, I want you to give up your mission. Give up your mission and come on my mission. I want my mission in life to totally redefine who you are. Now, if you just hear that, Hey, I'm the guy who approached Jesus. I had a few questions. I wanted Jesus to come on board with me, and, and I borrowed some verses from Philippians, and I'm on my way. Jesus is with me on my mission. You don't walk away grieved. You're excited. You've just hired Jesus. He's a consultant. He's got some great ideas. He'll chat with you along the way if you've got time. He's glad to be available to you. But discipleship in the Bible shows up with this huge demand where Jesus says, take your mission, set it down, and come on my mission." Now, listen, that's exactly what the disciples did. Look in verse 27. A little bit later, exchange between the disciples and Jesus, Peter said in reply, see, well, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Did you get that list? Everyone who's left. I mean, do people really do this? For real? I mean, do Christians do this? They leave houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, lands. They, they walk away from those things to follow another mission. Well, apparently the 12 did. If you were just meeting Pete and Jimmy and Johnny, that's what they're doing in Jerusalem. This mission has redefined their life. And so, you know, they look like they're a little poorly dressed, but they're in the right place. They're living the life God's called them to live. See, a disciple lives that kind of a life. All right now, if we got past Pete and Jimmy and Johnny, and then I brought you over and I'll let you meet guys like Phil and Steve and Joe. All right now, Joey called Barney. All right? Go to Acts chapter 2 with me. By the way, if you're looking for them in church history, they're Philip. Joe became Barnabas, Steve was Stephen. These, you know, I, I, can we make them real guys? Can we make them regular dudes? Right, they were Phil and Steve and Joe. They were just guys from somewhere living some kind of a life when they encountered Christ. And all of a sudden, their life got redefined. Right, if you had gone to Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem that you met there, look in Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, listen to what the, was contained in these folks here. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, Are not all these who are speaking from Shalmet? I'm sorry, <laughs> Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us, in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belong, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Right? You know what a proselyte was? It was a person who was formerly of another religion. They were not Jewish by birth. They came into belief in the one true God. From another religion. So there's, there's Jews and non-Jews here in Jerusalem gathered for this outbreak. Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling of our, in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now something happens on this day here. Do right, you remember? There's, this is the spirit of God has fallen. And there's an outbreak of the power of the spirit of God. And Peter is going to preach the gospel to this crowd. And thousands are going to get saved. Thousands are going to now go on a mission. Now, you only, the rest of the, the next few chapters only make sense if you understand what happened to these people. Thousands of people. Where were those thousands of people from? Well, some of them might have been from Jerusalem, but for the most part, they were from all over the place. In the next few chapters, what you encounter only makes sense if you understood a bunch of people who were just visiting Jerusalem all of a sudden decided to move there and not go back home. They were a people who were uprooted. Parthians, Medes, right? These are people, if you know where Jerusalem is, right? Jerusalem here, go way to the east. India's way over here, Pakistan, Iran, Jerusalem. These are people from way over there, the Parthians. They were over 1,000 miles away, had come to Jerusalem. They came from tribal Persian backgrounds. They picked up their whole life, and they come to Jerusalem. And then he mentions people from all Asia. Asia would have been Greece, about 600 miles away. Libya would have been North Africa. Another six, seven hundred miles away from Jerusalem. Rome, even farther, the peninsula of where the Arabs lived. There were people coming from all over the world. But, but listen, they were people with all kinds of different backgrounds who spoke different languages. Can you imagine the cultural barriers between these people? Can you imagine how different they were. And all of a sudden they decide: I'm staying in Jerusalem with a bunch of strangers, and I'm going to become a part of this church. What an impact. Their life has just been severely uprooted, and all of a sudden there's a whole new set of people in their life. Let me just say this about becoming a follower of Christ. Before you were following Christ, you were following something else. The Bible says that we were following the course of this world. We were following the God of this world. Now, whether you knew that or not, that's what we were following. It's either following the God of glory or the God of this world. There's, there's no other place to follow. Now, we may have thought, and the God of this world may have convinced us that we were following our own ideas. That we had constructed a life based on these principles, these issues. I want to have that. I want to be that by the time I'm 40. So we were following that, Right? At some point, you meet Christ along the way, and you begin to follow him. Now, now just go with me here. How does that affect the people in your life? How does that affect the people you have an appetite to be around in your life? Remember, when you were following this course, it was about money. It was about some kind of pleasure, some club you were all a part of, some gang of friends who got together and did things, and maybe you talked about it, maybe you didn't. That's what your life was about. And then all of a sudden you're following Christ, and now your life is about this. It's about something very, very different. How much sense does it make to you that if you're really following Christ, These people still fit in your life exactly the same way. Does that make any sense to you? One of the things that Christianity should truly disrupt is your relationships. It's why when when Peter said, hey, we've, we've left people and lands. There's something different about us. We've abandoned a bunch of stuff to follow. See, when you're on a mission with God it will change the way you relate to people who aren't on a mission with God, whose mission in life used to be what you used to be about. All right, now, right now, if you're sitting in this auditorium today and you're calling yourself a Christian, is there a significant change in your relationships since you've become a Christian? If I introduced you to people in the first church, you would notice they are around a different set of people. And if you're not... How quickly are you following Christ? What kind of speed are you making? Are you moving down that road effectively? Are you quickly after the things of God? Or are you still finding yourself very, very pursuing the things you used to pursue? Because that's the people you used to be around. They're still pursuing that stuff. If it's comfortable for you to live among them and hang with them and go with them, it's because you're still following some of the same stuff. Following Christ disrupts your relationships. Now, how about this? Right, digital age, age of designer relationships, right? We build our own pool of people, you know? We, we want to create a certain set of friends in our lives. Can you imagine, first church, what they were like? They came from all kinds of different cultures and backgrounds and interests, and all of a sudden they were all in the same church together, and that was their friends. Learning new languages and caring for each other. Not designer, not you're like me. Oh, you like that too, Oh, we can all join, click like. You know, we can all join together and be like each other. No, 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 no. These people were not like each other. But yet they gave up everything to live amongst each other. Amazing. That's what mission will do for you. All right, how about this? A people given to praying for the kingdom to come. Right, when you visit throughout the book of Acts. You find a people that are praying together. All right? Acts 1, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, Acts chapter 4. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, they begin to cry out to the sovereign God. In verse 31, they concluded their prayer. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. Right There's a gathering of believers coming together for the purpose of praying for the kingdom of God to come. For the mission to go forward. For it to accomplish its goals. At some point after this, later on in the book of Acts, there's this opposition that comes. Peter's put in jail. One of the significant leaders of the church is now in jail. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church later on. He went to the house of Mary after God miraculously rescues him out of jail. He goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Right? You know, when you're on a mission, listen, the same way that your relationships get naturally disrupted because your mission becomes the thing that owns you, and people who aren't going there no longer absorb you the same way. If you're on a mission, you pray about that mission. That mission matters to you. You're consumed with coming, man, you're coming together to pray for the mission, to pray for the kingdom of God to come. To pray for things to happen in people's lives and for God to protect his interest and to advance his cause. When you hear that something significant has happened in the life of a leader, you pray, you rally around that, and you pray. Now listen, this goes back to an irreducible fundamental. Prayer is an irreducible fundamental. Now, living in a digital age doesn't, doesn't always leave a lot of room for prayer, does it? There's a lot of stuff that's sort of pressing in on our time. Do we have time to pray? Are we about praying for the mission? What about people financially engaged in the kingdom? If I introduce you to some folks, look in Acts chapter 2 here, verse 44. Taking you around First Church. You're meeting some folks. These are the kind of stories you would have come in contact with of people who were living this mission out. Verse 44. And all who believe were together... Had all things in common. Now, remember, this verse only makes sense when you understand that there's Parthians and Medes, there's people who, who don't have anything. They were just coming to Jerusalem for a, a festival. They're going to be there for a short period of time. They haven't moved, they didn't bring all their belongings. They don't have jobs. They need somebody to help them. They've decided to follow Christ, but they don't have any means of living in Jerusalem. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This wasn't an outbreak of poverty. This was an outbreak of necessity of people who had decided to follow Christ at great expense to them. And the church took that up. And I've got this, I'll sell this. Right? We hear we kind of hear a bad story of this in chapter 5, and where Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property and then lied about how much they sold it for. They didn't need to do that. If it was their property before, they could have kept it. They could have donated half of it, but they lied. And they act as though they, the sale price was this and they were donating that and ended up the Holy Spirit judged them. And they both were killed. But what was amazing in that was it was becoming commonplace for people to take things that they owned and sell it. And take the proceeds and say, hey, help, help the folks who traveled here to be established in our midst. Help them. You know, help that family. That's what they did with their money. You, you find this all over the place if you look in those other two <clears throat> passages there on your own. First Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about the, <clears throat> the Macedonians, <clears throat> these people who, who begged to be a part of this offering. There was a day in which there was this great famine that was breaking out and poverty was, was, was zapping the church and pulling people's lives down. So a word comes from God and they decided they're going to take up an offering. They're going to bring it to Jerusalem to disperse amongst the poor. And these folks want to participate. The only problem with them is they're dirt poor. They live in a situation of need. You need to take an offering up for them. But they begged Paul, Paul, please, we want to participate. Even though we're in need, we've managed to put this together, blowing Paul's mind. That's what people did with their money. See, when you're on a mission, it affects what you do with your money. The digital age affects what you do with your money too, doesn't it? Because we love our gadgets. I and mean, we do. I'm sorry. We just love our gadgets. The only thing better than the gadget that you got is the new one that just came out. It's got to be better. It's new. It's an upgrade. So our old gadget works, but there's a new gadget. <laughs> and I've got to have it. And then you go talk to somebody else who's on a mission as well. And they've got to have it too. Confirmed out of the mouth of two or more witnesses. We've all got to have it now. And so what do we, we take our money and we go get the gadget? And then if you hang around digital devices enough, there's the, the intravenous hookup of advertising that takes place. Right? You know why all the stuff in the cloud is free? Because the price you pay is them having access to your mind. That's why it's free. So, you know, you kind of like, you know, you log on. You might as well just, you know, as you hear that sound, just imagine there's a, there's a needle going into your vein right now. And up it comes. <sighs> Everything about life that you don't have but you should have and you need. And, oh, I need that. Look at that. I wasn't even going to click on that, but it popped up on the sidebar. What is that? Did you know they had that? I didn't even know they had that. Right? And these, you know, as I said in the earlier weeks, these sites are designed to read your mind (laughs) so they know exactly what you're interested in. Right? I got freaked out the other day. I don't know. Somebody has sent me some stuff on on schools, and, and so all the, all the ads around the page were for this college and that college and that college. And the next one was about something really bizarre. It was an email from somebody discussing something totally bizarre. All the ads changed and were bizarre. I'm like, this is just spooky. <laughs> right, the stinking computer knows what I'm thinking. <laughs> and so it's kind of advertising. And so, you know, how do you withstand that? You're on a mission but the advertising saying, you need this, and you got to have that, and you need to spend on that, and you'll be so much happier, and that'll be so much fun, you kind of get drawn away from the mission with your money, right? Listen, if you, if you checked out the advertising budget for most companies, you would be shocked. You would have your mind blown. You'd think they spend that kind of money on advertising? Listen, the only reason why these greedy companies would spend that kind of money on advertising is because it works. It gets you to want what they're hawking. And unfortunately, financially, most of us, it causes us to want something at the expense of something else. All right. All right, let me scoot through a couple quick thoughts here. All right, people with a message I don't have time to look at. But, you know, if you, if you track through these early chapters of Acts... Those guys that you got introduced when you came to First Church for the first time, Steve and Phil. Stephen is about to go on and preach the longest message, really probably in the whole Bible. And he's going to get stoned to death at the end of it. But he's going to ignite Jerusalem. He's going to set Jerusalem on fire for the glory of God. And he's going to get caught up into heaven. Philip. You know, Phil, who, by the way, was, he, was just, he was picked to help out with some stuff back in Acts chapter 6. I don't know where these guys come from. I don't know how long they've been in the church. But Philip is about to go take the gospel and preach it to the Samaritans. We're going to find him later on, and he's living in Caesarea, and he's, he's got daughters who are all prophets prophesying. All right, this guy is going to make a significant contribution to preaching the gospel. So common folks, right? I mean, Stephen Phil, you met him on the way and They were nobody special, but by the power of God, they were on a mission in their life. Right? That's true. All right. Now, what has this kind of got to do with digital age here? Well, I mean, remove the digital age from this mysterious. Oh, it's the digital age. It's unique. It's this part of history that no one ever has had to face this before. Uh, probably some uniqueness to it, but it joins a long list of very basic issues for every Christian and every generation. It's a distraction. It's a distraction that has to be managed in our lives. And if you don't manage it, it will overwhelm you. It will consume major portions of your life. Now, why is that a problem? Because what it's going to consume is going to be the things that feed the fuel of the mission in your own heart. It will consume those things. Right? Young people in here, if you're amongst the statistics of your reading has decreased by 28% so that you could send a few more text messages, it's coming at a price. I kind of doubt the text messages are stirring the fire for the mission of God. But maybe some of that reading could have reading the word of God, reading about people who have lived their lives for the glory of God in amazing ways. The digital age is touching the things that touch our passion, that stir us for the kingdom of God. John Piper said, where passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. i put this crazy looking picture in your outline there you got all this activity on the outside. It's the mission. right? It's, it's what we do as Christians. It's how we spend our time. It's what we sound like in relationships with one another. It's, it's the lifestyle. It's, it's, listen, I don't, mission is not just going to foreign soil as a person who's being supported by American churches to preach the gospel. Everybody's on a mission. Every Christian is on a mission in your workplace. When you're in the supermarket when you're relating to your extended family, when you're in your neighborhood, whoever God puts you in contact with, you are on a mission. And they're observing the message of the gospel through your life. And it's not just the words that you're speaking. It's the life that you're living. It's the integrity of your life. It's the fact that you can't join in the stories with the folks who have, who have figured out a way not to pay their taxes Right? Or you hear some guy share a story about how he got his traffic thicket, uh, ticket fixed and you got one on top that. Listen, that lacks integrity. And you're testifying about something when you do that. So when you live your life passionately for the kingdom of God when it costs you something and you maintain your passion for the kingdom of God when it costs you something, you live in relationships not as this spongy absorber. What can you get from people? But you're a person who seems to be backwards. You're there to serve. You put others' interests ahead of your own. You're willing to go without so that they might be blessed. You're sacrificing so their life can benefit. That screams, that plays in this country. Because we don't live amongst people who do that. The advertising doesn't teach you to do that. The advertising teaches you to get everything you can possibly get, and if you've got to put tire marks on somebody else's back to get there, you do it. It's a mission that we're on to live our lives a certain way. And the message of our mission is much more than just a positive we, we kind of we're nice to people, get along with folks. It ought to be that. It's much more than that. It's the gospel. It's the message that Christ came into this world to ransom sinners and to reconcile us to God. And we live underneath. This this is why the truth of the gospel cannot be separated from whether or not humility is observable in our lives. Whether or not we walk in forgiveness to one another. It's not just a matter of me standing in front of an audience saying, I hope all you people forgave each other this week because God knows you're supposed to all right, hey, okay, maybe that's one way of getting at it, right? You're supposed to pay your union dues, and they remind you of that kind of stuff. Okay, thanks for the external reminder. That's not Christianity. Christianity is the overwhelming sense that I have been forgiven so much. The God who is perfect and holy ran me down and found me Overwhelmed me with his mercy and his care and his promises and cleansed me all the guilt and the shame, cleansed me of my sin. And 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 then and then you come to me and offend me. What am I gonna have a hard time forgiving you? I am if I'm out of touch with how much I've been forgiven. That's the only way that happens. Do you understand what screws up the outside observable stuff is what's not going on in here. My passion to forgive you comes from hanging around God. It comes from being aware of the fact. I mean, I start often. I, I, I start, I pray, I walk at night and I pray. And I don't ever get past my own front yard without being amazed that I have an audience with God. I stop from the beginning and express my amazement that, God, you're even listening to me. A sinner who, is, who today, Lord, has fallen short of your glory. And yet your throne is wide open to me right now. As a matter of fact, you are insisting that I come. And if I were to stay away either out of guilt or out of busyness, you would be grieved. Because of what you've done is thrust open access and you welcome me. God, I'm amazed by that. See, you don't understand when we as a people live amongst each other with unforgiveness and arrogance, this is what it screams. That's what we do, right? That's what's out there. What it screams is something's missing on the inside. I haven't been around God. You ever look at somebody else's sin and go, oh, can you believe? Honey, can you believe what they, oh, look at what they did. Man. Really, you got around God lately? Because I got spots all over me. My spot might be blue and yours might be red. And I might hate red more than I hate blue. Before a holy God, my blue spot's equally as offensive as your red spot. And my passion to live towards you is informed by how God is toward me. John Piper says, Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. All right, let me pull that away from the preachers for a moment and give it back to all of us. Let me say it this way. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in a life that preaches. You're going know, to preach from your life? It's going to be because you have an amazing awe of God. You have observed him and you have tasted of him and you are overwhelmed and undone. You can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad who cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad and exult in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O Most High. Missions begins and ends in worship. All right, let me, let me end our time together by talking about that. Now, go ahead and Come up. We have a mission, right? You're part of the body of Christ. You are on a mission. Is that that mission on fire in your heart? Or have you fallen prey to distractions? The many myriad of distractions, among which digital age is just another one. Distracting my heart from knowing and adoring this God in such a way that my life is affected and I am on a mission. You want to look in the Bible and find me the people who are on a mission. You find them to be people who have been affected by God. They've gotten around God and they were affected by God. Whether it's the Samaritan woman whose life is entangled in her sixth relationship, five husbands and yet another relationship until she encounters Christ, And in him, she finds everything her heart has been longing for. And she is on a mission. She launches back into that Samaritan village, telling everybody, come meet a man who told me everything about my life. And many came and believed. That woman was on a mission. Remember the woman who just sat weeping at Jesus' feet, worshiping him, crying, washing his feet with her hair, Spilling out this expensive, costly vial of perfume. Why did she do that? Because she was supposed to? Because that's what, that's what you're required to do as a Christian on a mission? Nobody told her to do that. Nobody required her to do that. She wasted all that money. Because he who's been forgiven much loves much. She was affected by God. Do you remember Isaiah? Meeting God in the throne of God and blown away by the presence and the awe of God, convicted about his own unworthiness and standing before God with these cherubim and their wings and the descriptions of this holy moment, this terrifying God. And he encounters God. He's not distracted. He's not absorbed elsewhere. He's got room in his life to encounter God. And when he's done, he says what to God? Here I am, Lord, send me. God, send me. Listen, when, when God is blowing your mind, you can't help but go on a mission for him. When he's not doing much, you're not going far. So listen, this, this whole series kind of finds itself into this category. All this stuff, all this stuff in our digital age, it offers you many, many distractions. Right now, I'm not saying they're all sinful. I'm not saying you got to get rid of all of them. You got to figure out what to do with that. If you're going to live your life in 10 years from now, you're going to say, oh, You know, I I don't know God any deeper, and no, I don't have a prayer life, and a lot of times I don't even come to church. I mean, all the irreducible fundamentals are are sucking wind in your life. But your TV is on all the time. You live in front of a computer. You're faithful to respond to a text within minutes. Is that what you want to be able to say 10 years from now? Nobody waited more than 10 minutes to get a text back from me. Really? Ten years from now, what you want to be able to say about the mission that you lived your life for? Be focused. Be single-minded. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All that other stuff, God will take care of it. Let's stand up together. All right, guys, remind us of something at this moment. Okay, at this moment, the ownership for this meeting moves from from here to here. It needed to have been that way the whole time. But right now, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What are you experiencing from God? To do some teaching on the Holy Spirit coming up. I think for one thing it's gonna do is rescue the preacher from being hated by one third of the population of the meeting. Because <laughs> whatever it is you're hearing, right now, can you check and see whether it's the Holy Spirit or whether it's the guy with the microphone? Now God uses the guy with the microphone, at least we hope he does. But the Holy Spirit needs to speak to you. Now, before you kind of like, well, I didn't like the way you said that or this, and that that example. Okay, you might not have liked it because it was way too close to an issue. It touched a sore spot. Was that the Holy Spirit? Okay, What's God want to do right now in your heart, in your life? Let's bow our heads together. Let's let the Holy Spirit commune with you for a moment. Let him find your address, use your name. Lord, I thank you for... Your presence abiding with your people. Lord, I'm also sobered to know that as I read your word, your presence can be grieved by our unresponsiveness to you. You come in amazing grace. We don't deserve for you to be here this morning with us or that you would speak to us, and for many of us, Lord, that you'd speak to us for the 58th time. So, Lord, you are both patient and kind. And eager this morning to rescue us from a life of distractions. If you're here this morning and you're You'd say, you know, my life, I don't, I don't have passion. I don't have passion for the kingdom of God. I'm just, I'm trying to do the right thing, but man, I'm, I'm not passionate. I want to pray for some folks this morning. So I want to give some room for people to, to come receive from God this morning. So maybe that's where you are. There's no awe right now in your walk. You're not in awe of God. You're not compelled. You haven't experienced something from God that sends you affects you deeply. I want to pray for you this morning. Maybe you have misplaced prayer in your life. As we were talking through that, you can't think of the last time that you prayed for the mission, you got down on your knees like it mattered whether Peter got out of jail or whether or not these needs were met or the kingdom advanced or someone came into the kingdom. It was the last time the kingdom was the source of what you were praying about. That's been misplaced. Maybe it's because you're too distracted from what matters. What about about your finances, your money? What's the last time you invested in the kingdom of God? Did you do that regularly? Is Is that a portion of who you are? That you own responsibility for glorifying God with your finances? Have you been giving to God In a way that pleases him. Is God convicting you this morning? Somehow other things. You're managing to pay for other things. You've prioritized other things. God wants you to repent this morning and turn to him in faith? What about the people in your life? Are you on a mission with the people in your life? You want their mission. You want your own mission. The company that you're keeping. They're drawing you close to God. Are they distracting you from God? You moving toward God with these folks or away from God with them? Maybe this morning God wants you to repent. Turn to him. Embrace his mission with your life. Listen, this is too important for you to leave alone. God wants to re-envision some folks about being on his mission. So if God's dealing with you right now, would you just come up? I want you to come up and just find a place to pray. Pray. I believe we need significant moments where we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us amidst all the busy pace of life and stuff going on in the hurried world and all of our concerns and activity. What What an oasis God just injected into your life this morning. For God to say, hey, remember me? Remember my call for your life? Remember the mission that I had for you to be on? I want to reestablish that. I want to rescue you from these steps that you've been taking that are wayward and wandering. Oh, what a wonderful gift from God. Repentance is such a great gift from God, it brings a new day. If you've been lacking joy in your life, might it be because you're off course? There are things that you're laboring under and slaving under to have and to possess and you can't seem to get them and it's frustrating and you're angry. Listen, God's at work in your life. Embrace his purpose. He's got a call for you. When he came to you, whatever you were doing, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll redefine who you are. I'm going to put a task in your life. It's going to be the most important thing about who you are. Well, if that doesn't feel like it's real and it's got zing and power in your heart this morning, come find God this morning. Come confess to the Lord. Come open your heart again. He'll meet you. God is gracious and kind. His hand of mercy is available this morning. Let's, let's pray. Matt's going to close us in song. And I'm going to let folks just pray up here in the altar, and I'm going to invite people to come. And pray, Lord, I thank you for the grace that you bring to us. Lord, this is grace. I know it feels heavy. Lord, I know sometimes grace has to find us where we are. We're in a heavy spot, we're in a serious spot. We have wandered. Lord, for some here, there's wandering. For some, there's just outright rejection. Lord, for some, we're lukewarm. For others, just cold. Lord, your grace finds us, and it's the same grace. It's the God who sent his Son to stand in our place and to receive all, all, all the judgment of God. So, Lord, thank you this morning that nobody has to come up here this morning to get their sins paid for. If they're a believer, no one's coming up here this morning to get their sins paid for. But, Lord, we are coming because we want our heart restored. We want brokenness in our lives. Lord, we want your mission pounding in our hearts. Lord, we want fresh zeal in our lives once again for your kingdom to come. Lord, we want to pray like it matters. We want to live like it matters. Lord, we want want to do things that require faith. Lord, we want to advance your kingdom. God, we want to find ourselves in the place that we could stand with disciples and say, Lord, what about us? We followed you. Lord, remember? Lord, look at my life. I parted with this and this has changed so that I might follow you. Lord, I'm on on course with this following in my heart. God, awaken following again in our souls. Lord, I pray for grace for some of the folks that are here this morning to break with bad relationships. God, may we not cling to people who are on a mission, but it's not your mission. Lord, may we be redemptive in those lives. May we share the gospel in those lives. May we love folks amazingly. But God, partner our hearts together with those who are on a mission. God, those who are going somewhere for the glory of God. Give us grace to part ways with those who are not. Spirit of God, move. Move in our midst this morning. God, open our hearts. God, we want to have faith to believe you for big things that faith to put things down, that you're going to meet us and you're going to be faithful to us. I want to ask for some folks to come pray for these guys. Come pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit of God to bring clarity. When God comes with power, he comes with light. Things become clear. Darkness and light get separated. God comes with motivation. It's God who's at work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Pray for that. Ask for the power of God to touch those folks that are responding this morning. They're looking for God to come with a fresh power for them to follow God on this mission. Oh, God, awaken your church once again to the mission. Listen, if you're, if you're feeling like God is doing a work in your life right now, well, then you're on a mission right now, right? Your mission is to get up here and pray for these folks. Get up and believe God. Listen for the Holy Spirit to give you a, a means of praying for them, something specific. Who knows what God might say to you? It'll blow their mind when you begin to share with them something God is showing you right now, right now while you're praying for them. So renew the mission in your own heart and come pray for these folks. Let's listen for the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. Minister in this place this morning.
1: see your glory, a heart that worships you alone. Cleanse me, forgive me for myself seeking that you yeah.
0: you for being the God of hope that you are. Lord, we find our lives sometimes in ruts, in familiar entrenched places. God, thank you for finding us in our ruts. Yes. I thank you that Today is a day of grace because your mercies are new every morning. And God, thank you that you are present to us, not just here right now, but not just when our hearts were compelled to move us. Not just in this setting are you present, but God, you are present in us and you go with us into this week. Your spirit abides in us. Oh, what a powerful thought. Because I'm going, to need, I'm going to need you to move in me the way you did this morning when I find myself flirting with the rut again. But I'm going to need you when I'm tempted to, to pull up a screen or to check an email or to get absorbed some trivial piece of information when my soul is hungry and thirsty for you. I'm need you in that moment. I'm going to need you to overwhelm me, Lord, in that moment. I'm going to need you to nudge me in the spirits and give me an urgency and an appetite that only you can satisfy. God, I'm looking forward to that. Lord, I'm looking forward to that for each of the folks here this morning. God, I'm looking forward to the fact we just didn't spend... Several weeks studying stats and finding out odd things that we do. God, I'm grateful that you are at work to give us new days ahead. Days of victory, days of power, and days of influence, days of rejoicing. God, days in which we can sow and we can reap, Lord. Those days, God, we hope for because you are a God of hope and you are at work trust in you and look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Bless you
0: guys.